Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. I'm going to start tonight. We, you all have come to a classroom tonight and over the next few Wednesdays. And so this is an interactive classroom, all right? It's not just me instructing. I'm going to take you to a setting where we're going to go through the letters of Corinthians. But I want you, anytime you have a question, to feel free to raise your hand and ask it during the med- I'm not going to save questions to the end. We're going to do it during. This is going to be part of our classroom experience here together. Okay? Amen. Yeah, this is going to be a good time. Because I want to an- help answer any, as many questions as you have. Um, and so, okay, just to get a few out of the way, I don't know if all dogs go to heaven. So, I, you know, those kinds of questions. Let's keep them Bible-based if we can. But I'm, I'm, I'm really willing to just any, you know, particular issues in the Christian realm, the, theological issues that you may have, questions you may have, please feel free to ask those. Now, if you want to ask a question tonight and you raise your hand, just understand that you're going to be recorded when you ask the question. And don't be intimidated by that because, because there may be other people here in the room or listening by podcast or watching live stream that may have the same question. Yeah. So all your questions can be very helpful uh, for others as well, okay? Uh, not just for yourself. So feel free to ask the question. And whenever you raise your hand, I'll have one of these young men here, Dylan or Connor, to bring a microphone to you so that you can ask that question. All right? So you understand the format here? I don't want you to, like I said, um, don't be afraid to ask anything, all right? In this house, there's no such thing as stupid questions, all right? If it is a dumb question, we're going to pretend like it's not, okay? (laughs) All right, praise God. So that being said, let's jump into 1 Corinthians. Are you ready? All right, let me just give you a little bit of, of history first about this book, give you the setting of it, so that you can be familiar with it. Now, I teach this particular course at Christ for the Nations, so I'm going to be giving you tonight much of the material that I teach in Bible college, all right? So you're getting a good education over the next few weeks. um, I teach a course in the fall called Corinthian Letters, and uh, so we walk through an entire semester in these two books. So um, I've learned much about them over the years in compiling information and revelation, so I'm happy to finally extend this to my, my church family, okay? So praise God. This first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians is not actually his first letter that he wrote to them um, <clears throat> because he said he had written a previous letter. When, and you can, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to maybe look these up, and I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 helps us understand that this isn't his first letter. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Now, history tells us that this letter was also shared with the church of Laodicea. And when that letter arrived there, there was a great fire that destroyed the church and everything in it. And that, they believed that that letter was destroyed in that fire. So Paul possibly wrote up to actually four letters to the Corinthian church. And I'll talk about that later on. In the second the second uh, epistle of the of Corinthians, the second Corinthians itself, seems to be actually two separate letters. And I'll show you that when we get there. But this is his second letter to them, as he had given them some instructions before. And uh, it was written after Paul's second missionary journey, this, this letter here that we're getting into, 1 Corinthians, and before his third missionary journey. He wrote this letter from the city of Ephesus. So, um, and I can give that to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, Verse 7 and 8 says, For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. So his main purpose in this letter is to correct carnal thinking, which had disrupted and had damaged the unity of the believers in this church. And he also answers specific questions. And so the three main areas in this first epistle to the Corinthian church where Paul dealt with this unity was, number one, sectarianism. Everybody make a friend of that word, sectarianism, all right? Sectarianism is excessive devotion to a particular sect, especially in religion, all right? And uh, we can, we can, we'll look 
at that a little more in depth. I'm just going to kind of give you an outline of this book, and then we'll get into it. Uh, the, the, the second thing was the immoral conduct of certain believers. When we get over into chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, uh, we see uh, sexual misconduct, lawsuits, celibacy and marriage relationships, eating things offered to idols, and so he deals with a lot of particular things and uh, helps see the church. Th- this, these two books, especially this first one, is really about living the separated life the sanctified life, helping them come out of idolatry and carnality and those kinds of things to live the Christian experience, all right? And so he delves into many daily situations that Christians run into, and they had lots of questions. And this, this letter that Paul wrote is actually a response to a letter that they had written to him, all right? Um, also, passivity, passivity of others not dealing with these problems, um, and then thirdly was conduct in the church services, um, particularly the Lord's Supper in chapter 11. He sets the record straight there. Then he gets into chapter 12 and talks about the gifts and their function in the church. Chapter 13, the whole purpose behind it, the love of God. And then chapter 14, he goes into more instruction specifically about the, le- the language of the Spirit, tongues in a particular church setting, all right, and its operation there. And he concludes this letter with a clear and concise explanation of the gospel. You hear us say this all the time at One Cause Church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you that which I also received, right? That is the gospel that was preached, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. All right, that's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And he makes it very clear what it is. And then in chapter 16, he gives some instructions about collection for the poor saints in, that are in Jerusalem. And then he gives his final greetings. Um, after his second missionary trip, which was somewhere around AD 51 to AD 53, and before his third missionary trip was, was somewhere between 54 and 58. So it's, it, they, they can best estimate that this book was written in AD 56. Now, Corinth had just been reestablished. It was only about five years old again. It had come out of the ruins and uh, had become a prominent city. As a matter of fact, it was the capital city of the region of Achaia. And it was a strategic place because this is a place where a lot of port was. But by the way it geographically set, there was lots of, of shipments going in and out, a lot of in, import and export, lots of sailors were coming in. And as a result of its, of its position, there was lots of cultures that came in, so there were lots of ideals, there were lots of philosoph- this is philosophizing going on, lots of religion, and so there was just a hodgepodge, a whole mixture of different religions and thinking and, uh, and uh, ways of doing business and life. And so that's why Paul had to get very detailed in how he instructed the church how Christians should live in that kind of society. So... Um, he had not yet come to Corinth a second time. Uh, he says, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for, I'm pa- for I am passing through there. And Acts records this happening toward the end of his third missionary trip. Therefore, the, 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 the date of this writing is somewhere around 56 AD, all right, for those of you that like that kind of thing. So let's get into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And like I said, any questions you have along the way, just Throw your hand up, all right? You're not going to bother me by your hand. I believe I'm, believe I'm used to this in classroom uh, during school. So if you've got a question, just raise your hand, all right? And I'll be happy to, to answer to the best of my ability, all right? And if I cannot answer at the moment, then I will do my best to get the answer and get it back to you. Is that, is that fair enough? All right? Because my answer sometimes is just, I have no idea. That's a great question. Unless you want me to just make something up, right? I can make something up too, you know? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, or Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified. Everybody say sanctified. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a great word for sanctified. The Greek word is hagiadzo. Let's all make a friend of that word. Hagiadzo. Okay, it's H-A-G-I-A. Zo hagiadzo, and it means to render or acknowledge or to be venerable or hallow, to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. All right, this is what you are now in Christ Jesus. All right, you've been separated from profane things and dedicated to God. 
Uh, it also means to purify. Aren't you grateful that he purified you? It means to cleanse externally. It also means to purify internally by renewing the soul, uh, to purify by expiation, to free from the guilt of sin. So it's a big word. It's a big thing that Jesus has done for us, but we're not sanctified outside of him. In him is where we get this reality. We get this experience. Now watch this. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, there are two words here that were added by the translators, and those are the words to be. And in your Bible, you should see that they are italicized, all right? which means they're not in the original transcript. They were added to it to help give flow. However, this is not a good flow to put to be. They should have just left that out where it just says called saints. Because if you're in Christ, you're a saint. And I was doing some studying on what it takes to be a saint in the, in the realm of the religious world. That there are certain criteria to, to obtain sainthood. One of those things is, if you're going to be canonized, that you have to perform two verifiable miracles. Wow. If you want to just go through the beautification, you, could, you have to confirm that you've performed one miracle. But there's a whole process. There are stages, and it takes years and even decades for a person to be deemed a saint. But in Christ Jesus, that's everyone's reality. All right? To those who believe, you are called as a You're not called to be a saint. You are called saint. You are already sanctified, made holy in his sight, the righteousness of God in him. You can't be more saintly if you wanted to be. Now, this body is... Is, is a little behind in that experience, right? We're waiting for the day when we're going to receive the fullness of this salvation that we have. It starts in the spirit, and we are now working it out in the soul realm, right? That is, has to do with our mind and our will and emotions. That's that sanctification process. But then there's that glorification where the body receives the fullness of salvation, where this body will have all the right desires. Praise God. No more pain, no more disease, no more sickness. Hallelujah. You'll be free of all that. Receive a body made for eternity. So he calls them. Notice, notice this is his greeting, and he's setting the stage. He's talking to this church, and he's telling them who they are. In Christ, you're sanctified. You're set apart. You're dedicated to God. You're, you are, you are um, uh, removed from profane things. You are separated from those things. And now, this is your experience. In Jesus Christ, you are now saints. This is your reality. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think my God, now, I, I love Paul because he's a very patient man. Yes, sir? Yes. Who has a question? Oh, yes, give him a microphone. Give that man a microphone. Pastor Brian. So uh, with regard to uh, justification, sanctification, glorification, yes, right? there, is, uh, there are certain people who would argue against a message of healing, saying that because glorification is the consummation of our perfection in the body, uh -huh. that we have no right to expect it now with regard to the process we are undergoing. How do you respond to that? Well, I would respond by saying um, I wish they would have told Jesus that when he was walking the earth um, because he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And uh, so since that's what he came to bring and that he specifically was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, but by his stripes we are healed. And Matthew says that that was, in Matthew chapter 8, he says that was fulfilled when Jesus, when they came to him at Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house. Remember, he laid hands on her and rebuked that fever. It left her. And it says, and all the city came out. They brought the sick there to Capernaum, and Jesus healed all of them, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pain. So right there, Matthew says, that was the new covenant being given out. The benefits of the new covenant, before he had actually paid for it, so you knew right there Jesus was good for it. If he's already giving out the benefits, then he is going to make sure he makes the payment, right? So 
um, I, I would say that, that because of, of that, and we see Jesus talking about these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out devils. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So that right there gives us a right to receive healing right here and right now in this earthly experience. Good question. Very good question. All right. Good. Anyone else? All right. Let's continue then. Verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. What I was going to say was that Paul's a very patient man because, uh, uh, well, you're going to see just how gracious he is to start off with such a gracious introduction and to, as a man who really saw the bigger picture, and I want to be more like that. And when I'm, when I'm dealing with people on a regular basis, when I, how I relate to my wife, to, to always remember the bigger picture behind our, our greater than our issues at, the, at this moment. Because that will give you patience and that will grant you to allow grace to flow from your life rather than just <clears throat> wanting to get something off. I need to talk right now. And so Paul has some things that he seriously needs to deal with with this church. Some, some instructions, some corrections, some rebuke, but he's first going to show them grace and love and remind them of who they are. Isn't this glorious? Because that, at the end of the day, that's the essence of this gospel. Amen. Okay. That you were enriched in everything by him, verse 5, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in, you, confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who's going to confirm you to the end, you or him? Well, we just got to do our best and hope for the that it all works out right in the end, you know. If my good outweighs the bad, he'll surely he'll give me a thumbs up. There's no hope for you if that's what you believe. <laughs> it's that no, no, that's religion. That's what religion's hoping. That you're climbing this ladder, right? Hoping to gain favor with God. If I do enough good stuff here, then God will go, okay, now I'm gonna reward you with a blessing. That's not how he operates. He already has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Yeah, Amen. So we access those blessings by faith in him, not by performance. Huh? Not by performance. Because he's the one who's going to confirm you to the end. That's the blessed hope that we have, that Jesus has saved us to the uttermost. Praise God. God is faithful, I love that, verse 9, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see that? That this, this, there's this love between a father and a son, and our experience in God creating us and bringing us into the world, his plan and purpose was to bring us into that fellowship of the love between a father and a son. The very first time the word love is even mentioned in the scriptures is in the book of Genesis chapter 22. When God told Abraham, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. So the first picture of love that we see is the love between a father and a son. All right? And that's really in the grand scheme of things. It's a love between a father and son, and we're all welcome into this same fellowship with him. With them. Hallelujah. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now he's going to begin to bring some correction. All right, he's going to start dealing with this first. Uh, uh, realm of disunity, and that is sectarianism, all right? Now, I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, who is Peter, or I am of Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So he's saying, guys, listen, some of you, okay, you like Apollos' teaching, you, some of you like my teaching, some of you like Peter's teaching, but that's not even good, that you are divided over who your favorite teacher is. <laughs> we might be guilty of some of that. We're not careful, right? I mean, it's all seems kind of subtle, but he's, he's saying, there, no, 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 you guys all need to be. Remember the bigger picture. All right, these are just men. These are just men. We're just men. Christ is the one who died for your sins. All right, so don't hold one up over another. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Verse 16, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Stephanus. Uh, besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ, watch this, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Wait, aren't you the preacher, Paul? Who's going to baptize if you don't baptize? Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He not, did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He says, I baptized a few, and I don't even remember who all they were, because that's really not why I came. I came to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, I want to talk about this for just a moment, because this right here, this idea of that baptism has been so elevated into you must be baptized to be saved, um, has formed a, an entire denomination. My mother came out of this denomination, and it was you had to believe that, uh, that baptism or you had to be baptized in order to go to heaven, in order to be saved. And you had no instruments in your church. Everything's a cappella. I want you to go to Mark chapter 16, verse 16, where they build their entire denomination around this verse. Specifically this verse, and then they use some others. But we're going to look at this. Mark 16, 16, because I want to help you understand why that is not the full revelation. Okay? That's only part. And this is what causes people to go into a radical fringe. They grab pieces, pieces of Scripture and form their own doctrine and their own ways out of that. All right, That's why we have denominations, unfortunately. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Well, that sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? I mean, you, you think, well, yeah, that's scriptural. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Okay, who's Jesus talking to here? Does anybody remember who he's talking to? He's already raised from the dead here. So he's now with his disciples. And as you read on in Mark chapter 16, you read where he says, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out devils. As I quoted earlier, they'll speak in new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick. If they, if they drink anything daily, it will not harm them. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So then there's another one, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let's go over there, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I'm familiar with this passage of Scripture because I grew up in the Pentecostal realm. Now, the Pentecostal realm has several sects with it as well. There's the United Pentecostal. There's a, uh, the Pentecostal holiness. There's the oneness. And uh, the oneness are those who don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe that it's God, Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, they don't believe in, in that. They believe in just one God. And... The, they are partly right. He is God, but he's one. He's also three, though. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the United Pentecostal are those who, who believe that you, um, in Acts chapter 2, thir verse 38. Uh, yes, sir. Bud, let's get him a microphone. Dylan. Yeah, make sure you have that thing on for him. Since we brought up the denominational thing here, when you go back and, you know, he says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is there a good indication there that denominations were already forming at that time? <laughs> Absolutely. And following different people and different teachings and yeah. things of that nature? And yeah. I know because we're kind of into the denomination thing right now. So. Yeah, it's the, it's the yeah. way of, it really is the way of man. We just tend to do that. And, and we... There's, there's something good about it. We have a common thing that gathers us, but many times that one thing divides us from so many other things. And, and uh, so that, that's why people clump up in groups like this. 
in those denominational groups. And that's why Paul's trying to hit the nail on the head right there and say, no, 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 no. We don't have room for you saying who your favorite teacher is. All right? We don't want any of that. We want you all on the same page saying the same thing, remembering that we are all the body of Christ. We're all the church. Amen. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, bud. Um, then Peter said to them, Acts 2.38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You remember what happened here? This is when the great day of Pentecost had come and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then there was all this confusion going on. They're going, what is this? Because we understand them in our own language. These people are, these people are Galileans and, and there are Jews from all over the world there for Pentecost, for the feast, and they were hearing it in their own language. God was performing a miracle right there, and so there was a lot of confusion. That's when Peter stood up and began to help them understand what was happening. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, who said, in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and it went on from there. And um, so then he gets to, to... Further on, and then they say, the crowd responds, what can we do? What should we do? What? And then that's when he, Peter responds to them and says, repent and let every one of you be baptized. Now, who's Peter talking to? Peter is talking to Jews. There are no Gentiles here. No people like us. These are only Jews he's preaching to. Who's Jesus giving those instructions to? To to believe who believes and is baptized, he's talking to Jews. When, when Peter's speaking here, he's talking to Jews. There is no revelation in my family at this point that the gospel was even going to the Gentiles. It has not been revealed yet. When Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, they only thought the Jewish world. They never thought they'd come to McKinney and preach to a bunch of pagans like you. Huh? They wouldn't even hang out with you. Right? Because, I mean, you are not kosher. And so they dwelt amongst their own. And so when Jesus said, going to all the world, to the disciples, that did not mean every tribe and tongue. That meant wherever there's a Jew. Now, that's a great commission. It really applies to us across the board still today, right? I mean, that's, that's a truth that we all can still apply. We need to all go into all the world and preach the gospel. But to them, that, that only meant one thing. All right. It wasn't until Acts chapter 10, and we know Peter has this argument with the Lord. Not so, Lord. I'm not going to that guy's house. Right? I'm not going to eat what you tell me. That you, I mean, you say, eat all that? I, Jews don't eat that. You remember he had to, had to see that vision three times before his whole world was finally opened up to see, oh, I see now the bigger picture. But it was not revealed yet. And so at this time, this gospel is to the Jew. And the, and the gospel to the Jew is to believe and be baptized, repent and be baptized. Water baptism is essential in the Jewish gospel. All right? We've got to keep these things in, in the right perspective. Let's go to Acts chapter 19 now for a moment. Are you with me? Yes. So now, because of that, uh, there, there's the, the also the... The Pentecostal realm that believes that they are the true apostolic church because they preach Acts 2.38, 2.38, when they don't even realize they're not even preaching their gospel. It's sad. They're preaching the Jews' gospel. And, and, and they believe that they, you can only baptize in Jesus' name only. I always know when I'm running across one of those fine brothers and sisters, whenever, uh, you know, I've talked to him many times. My, my brother and I were sitting having ice cream one time and we saw this group come in and, and you know who they are because they don't wear makeup and they have hair down to the floor and long, long, you know, and you're, you know, we just know what they look like. And, and uh, so they came over and said hi to us and said, oh, you know, I guess they were going to try to evangelize us and said, you know, you guys go to church? Yeah, we go to church. Well, do you, whose name do you baptize in? That was the very next question. I'm like, oh, great, here we go. Oh, we do all of them. We just pick all the religions. <laughs> I said, I know you want me to just say Jesus only. But um, if, if that's really what you believe, if, that really, if, it's, if everything is about making sure that you only say Jesus' name when you baptize, then you're still wrong. His name's actually Joshua. So even you're wrong. I mean, if we're going to get technical, and you want to be technical, you're still not saying it right, so you're all condemned anyway. (laughs) 
I'm going to get technical. I'm going to, I'm going to, if we're going to roll the dice your way, we're going to go walk down your path, your way of thinking. Hmm? You see how ludicrous that is? Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I just covered all, you've, 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 those of you who have seen me baptized, I say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Cover it all. Amen. <laughs> Acts chapter 19, verse 1. <laughs> but it's amazing how, how deceptive uh, and how subtle the enemy can be to get people to grab a hold of an idea and just hold on to it with everything in them and keep them so ignorant of the truth, of the gospel. And, and here's the thing, my family. I want to say this, and I'll answer your question in just a second. I want to say this to you. When I, was, when I was growing up, I remember hearing this a lot. I read the red. I read the red. Read the red. I read the red. Okay, well, good. What are you saying by that? So you read it. Do you live by it? No. No, you don't cut off your hand. If it offends you, you don't pluck out your eyes, so you don't live by it. You don't want to live by it. We live in what Paul taught us. And many of these, many of these little sects of denominations, my family, are so ignorant of Paul's gospel. They read all around it and not read the depth of it. And that's why they're so jacked up. All right? We have to first get our New Testament understanding. We have to first get our New Testament reality so that we can understand all of this Bible. If you don't get that first, you're never going to get it. Amen. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Oh, let's get a microphone to her. Uh, you do have a great voice. But for recording's sake, we have people on podcasts that want to. So my question is in the verse prior to this one where it talks about baptism uh -huh. and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. Are there other ways and references if you don't have to be baptized to receive the Holy Spirit? You're talking about baptism in water? Yes. Okay, yeah, because the baptism of the Spirit and baptism in water are two separate things. So, yeah. But we tend to make a big issue of the, the ceremonial baptism. Yes, we do. We do because it, and it, is a, it is a very important baptism. You know, um, we've broken it down to the, the three early steps of the Christian faith is first to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation to be water baptized, to be sanctified, to be separated from this world, and to bury the old nature. I mean, we believe that water baptism is more than just symbolic. It's more than just an outward expression of an inward work. And all those things are true, but that we are no longer identified with the dead man, the old man, as the Scripture calls it, right? So baptism is a burial of that. And when you rise, Romans chapter 6 says, you rise now in newness of life. The old is gone. So for your own sake, at that moment, you identify, I am up from the dead, and I'm walking away from that. Now I'm no longer dragging a dead corpse around, still stinking up my life. I have done that away with now. And then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is where you receive the infilling. That's where you are speaking other tongues. The only evidence that we have in the Scripture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. And we'll talk about that in, when we get into talking about tongues later on in Corinthians. But in Cornelius' house, when Peter shows up in Acts chapter 10, he preaches the gospel to them, and the next thing that he hears is they're speaking in tongues. Nobody's been water baptized yet. Nobody had even been saved yet. But, but when they heard the gospel, Peter later on put it together in Acts chapter 15 when they had the great council in Jerusalem. He said, God purified their hearts by faith. So they heard it, and immediately they believed, and God said, okay, now here's the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was just that fast. And all of a sudden, they're speaking in other tongues. And even rattled Peter a little bit. He goes, oh, we need to get these people water baptized because we have a system. we got to get them saved, water baptized, and then spirit-filled. They're out of order. <laughs> right? So that we understand that those things, Jesus said, believers, this is so good. This, again, this, this again helps us understand that water baptism isn't necessary for salvation because believers speak in tongues and they spoke in tongues before they were water baptized. Water baptism is a huge argument in our household 
because I was raised Catholic. Uh -huh. So we're baptized immediately. Yeah. And spoken on our behalf for. But my husband believes that you have to have it done again of, of your own free will. Like that doesn't count. So you have to be water baptized multiple times. Well, <laughs> well, I, I, I believe that your baptism doesn't count until you're saved. Yeah, it does require water. Yeah, yeah, it does require water. Because the, the scriptural ev evidence that we have is that baptism is submersion. That's really what it means. Baptizo, it means submerged. When Jesus, um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Can you bring that up, Elizabeth, please? Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. J Jesus comes to be baptized by John. Remember that? When John the Baptist, and of course, John tries to argue and says, ah, I'm baptizing you. So look, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. All right, so Jesus had been submerged underwater. So we understand that because it is a burial, we don't sprinkle our dead people. We bury them. We submerge them, right? So that's why baptism is submersion. So it's the full effect. It's the full picture of what burial looks like. They go under the waters and come up. But it also is a reversing of a universal curse, the universal curse of the flood when men went underwater in judgment, not to rise anymore. God redeemed that by using water baptism to help us now go under the waters of baptism and come up, though, no longer judged, judged righteous, hallelujah, free from the curse. Amen. So those, uh, yeah, did I answer your question? So yeah, so your water baptism, water baptism doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really, in the eyes of, of God and the kingdom, it doesn't mean anything until you personally have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your son. You've made that decision, and now, now uh, it's, it's important to be water baptized for, after that. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It is a good question. You know, we dedicate children to the Lord, dedicate our babies to the Lord here. Um, we, we are no way saying that that's now they're saved. Now they're, we are just simply saying we are making a pathway for them to have a God encounter, to come to know him at a very early age. And so we believe by dedicating them to the Lord that that's going to help them avoid so many of the problems that so many other people face in life because they didn't get that path. They weren't raised in church. They weren't brought to the house of God. And uh, so we're going to give them every advantage to get to know Jesus very early age. Amen. Good questions. All right. I've got a little more time. Anybody else have a question here tonight? Nope. Okay. Let's continue to read a little bit more, and then I'll let you go. Is this all right? Yeah. This is fun. I'm enjoying this. Amen. Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples... He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because we know that whenever you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have the indwelling of the Spirit. The Spirit, the same Spirit who raised him from the dead, right, now lives in you. He dwells in you. So what does Paul mean then? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Of course, Paul. I mean, don't you know? I mean, aren't you a theologian? But he's not talking about that. He's talking about another experience with the Holy Spirit. All right? He's talking about another experience. I mean, I've talked to you about that indwelling, which happens at salvation. But then there's the ondwelling that affects this mouth, that new language that comes. I will pour it out my spirit upon all flesh. Upon all flesh. Not in, on all flesh. And the way that you know it, the evidence is going to be you're going to talk funny. Huh? So he's saying, so, so Paul is saying, did you get, did you have that experience? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they didn't even know whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, John's baptism. So we understand that these guys were disciples of John the Baptist. Watch. Then 
Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. You see, so that is the message to the Jew, to repent and to be baptized, to believe and be baptized, a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So then, after they understood that now Christ is the one, he has come, that's what Paul was explaining to them. John was just the one who pointed to the one. He's here. He's come. So now you need to believe on him. So once they believed on him, what did they need? John's baptism is no longer relevant now. Now they needed the baptism that comes from salvation. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we understand that the, the message, and these were Jews. Again, the message to the Jew is a bit different than the message to the Gentile. And I started doing research on baptism or baptized, baptizing, baptizes, all throughout Paul's writing, it's sparse when it comes to the presentation of the gospel. He says baptism is like it's something that we do. Hey, we're, you know, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. God, Christ didn't send me to baptize, he sent me to preach the gospel. He's not saying baptism isn't important. He's saying it's not essential to your salvation. It, our, our, our message is by grace, are you saved through faith? And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All right? Yes, sir. I'll finish with your question, Pastor Brian. Let's get him a microphone right quick. Yeah, I was actually looking for that. I, I can't remember. Is, is that Galatians, Ephesians? There's, there's one, uh, one baptism, right? The one baptism. Yes. How, how do you reconcile that? Right, I mean, because clearly in Acts chapter 2, we're, we're, there's two baptisms being discussed. I mean, Acts uh, chapter 19, two baptisms are being discussed. And then is it Ephesians? Where is that, uh, the one baptism? Uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Is it, is it not? Because uh, I thought it was Galatians like 2, and here. it's not Galatians 2. I was trying to find it. but I, I, Find it, Jeremiah. <laughs> we know what's in the Bible. And it's in the New Testament. And it's in Paul's writing. Ephesians 4, 5. Yeah, Ephesians 4. Okay, there you okay. go. Um, yeah, have, like, reconcile that <laughs> for me, if you would. The, the, are, is there just one baptism? Are there two baptisms? And if there are two baptisms, what's Paul referring to in Ephesians 4? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, when those Jews, remember when those Jews heard the gospel and believed, then they came into that, the one baptism, that is, the baptism that identifies with Christ Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. John's baptism didn't identify with that. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and a separating from this world and getting ready, looking forward to the coming one. So the one baptism then that Ephesians 4 is referring to is the baptism of the Spirit, not the baptism of repentance, which is John's baptism? Yeah, it's, it's, it's talking about our baptism as Christians, the water baptism after we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only really one baptism that matters to God in that way. Now, this, we're, I'm not we're not talking about the baptism of the Spirit. That's that's a different that's a different deal. And and he's when he's talking about one baptism, he's just talking about that essence of the Christian walk: one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I think he says one Spirit even there. Um, so, so it's more, so it's not necessarily an argument for, it's not discount, it's, it's more generalized and, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to reason this out, uh, or think, think of a way to do what? Okay, the, um, the, so, so basically when he's saying one, the, the idea is, he's almost kind of wrapping them all up in one. Is, is that fair to say then? In Ephesians yeah, he form, is, he because one. remember he says, even in another place, I think it's in Galatians where he says, there is no Jew nor Greek, there is no slave nor right. free, there is no bond, there, you know, there's no male, no female. Right. And so he makes some of those general, general statements to say, to give us kind of the overall scope of things, the big picture, if you will. Okay. And, and this is another way to state it so, in, in our faith. It's all one thing. It's like even, even when the Jews believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are baptized, right. that baptism is the same baptism that we have. It's just presented in a different way. 
Because remember, as James talks about there, it's a faith with works. Ours is a faith apart from works. So, because I've had this argument a lot with people, right? The, the question of the baptism of the Holy Spirit versus uh, the baptism of repentance, water baptism, John's baptism, all of that, right? Uh -huh. And then this is, the, this is the sticking point scripture, the one baptism. And then you go to Acts chapter 19, and you're like, but here clearly we're talking about two. Yeah. So, this is... I mean, but, I hear that we, one, but that was for a dispensation. Remember, John's baptism was different. Right. That was for a, a certain dispensation of time. So, so you would say then, too, water baptism is no longer considered John's baptism. Like no, now? no, no, no. Why he water baptized? That yeah. whole purpose and reason is all done away with. Now we're baptized. That's when they heard the gospel to believe on him. Okay. Then they were now baptized in the name saying. of the Lord Jesus. Now I'm with you all the way around. Now I got it. See what I mean? Right. This yeah. is the baptism, okay. though. Yeah, and that it, then it is, because then the other argument, too, that I, that I frequently find myself in with Baptist friends is they want to go to the baptism of Christ and say, you will be baptized, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's all one act, and it's all one thing, and then they point to that as the one baptism, right? Jesus, when he was baptized, was filled with the Holy Spirit to discount tongues, to discount right. that as a separate occurrence right. or a separate event, right? <laughs> and so they say, okay, it all occurred once here right. in the Gospels. We hear it mentioned once here in yeah. Ephesians. So, but now I hear what you're saying. That, that um, yes, okay. Yeah, and we'll talk about that because okay. you, you, there are so many scriptures that help us understand what that baptism of the Spirit experience is. Right. That is different from water baptism. Right. Totally different. And so when he says one baptism, then he is not referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit at all in that regard. He's just talking about that one baptism that was different at that point in time because of the dispensation we were exactly. under. Is the same baptism we undergo, even though it was an old covenant reality then and it's a new covenant reality now. There you go. That's why he's unifying it and calling it one baptism so that we understand well it's said. the same in both eras. That's exactly right. Okay, cool. Gotcha. Beautiful. Exactly right. Yes, Don. Get that man a microphone. Where are my Where are my ball boys? They need to be running yeah, around this, here. Well, this is one of the curiosities that I've always had because I was baptized as a child, um, you know, water baptism. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, I've never been water baptized. But I do speak in tongues. Wonderful. I mean, so that's my, the way I understand it is that I'm, that's my baptism. I mean, I don't need to go back and redo a water baptism. I know it's Were symbolic. you water baptized after you had made a decision for Christ? No. Okay. That's the whole thing. That's where I think a lot of confusion comes in. The way I've always understood it is the fact that I was baptized in the Spirit is that that's it. I mean, it's it, it could be a symbolic thing for me to go and get dunked underwater, but, I mean, I speak in tongues, so... Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, you do speak in tongues, and that's what happened at Cornelius' house. They believed, were baptized in the Spirit, and then were water baptized. So that, that what the Lord is showing us there is those, those other baptisms in the Spirit, baptisms in the water, don't have to be in any certain order, except that they follow salvation. They follow your initial faith in Christ, either way. So water baptism, as I said earlier, is important because this is where you're, you're burying the, the old man. It's, a, it's, it's an important step for the Christian. But let me just say this to you. Uh, between you and God, you guys can work that out. The thief in the cross wasn't baptized. I mean, you know, there, there, there are people who, who aren't water baptized. I'm just saying what these ways that we have uh, are every advantage. God has given us these ways to have every advantage against this world system and to and to consecrate ourselves, be consecrated to him. So that's why I believe water baptism is essential in that way, not for salvation, but for the walk. So in other words, it's sort of a way of like um, establishing belief if I need that. Yeah. It's more like I have to use the spiritual conscience. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, sir. So <clears throat> why was Jesus baptized? There's the answer right there, isn't it? Yeah. Why did he need to be baptized? Yeah, he was baptized um, really more for our example than anything else. Um, and and that's, that's where we saw when he came up out of the water. Because remember, Jesus is 30 years old at this point. And this is his mark for going into the ministry. So there's a separating for even for himself 
from walking out of the carpenter's shop and into full-time ministry. And so this was a, 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 an important event for him to do away with the old and rise to the new thing. And the moment he came up, the Holy Spirit descended down upon him. And now he's empowered, anointed to do the work of the ministry. So the fact is, the Holy Spirit had not entered him until he was baptized and he came up into heaven and God spoke. Exactly. And, and, and he did no ministry until that happened. Because he said in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to. In other words, I didn't, I wasn't, I, I'm not going to function until he's on me. Until I have that anointing flowing, now I'm going to flow and operate now to do these things. That's that's the first time. Well, I guess anybody heard because the yeah the God God the Father spoke out of heaven. This is my beloved Son, and there again is another proof that there is a Trinity. <laughs> God the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit descending down on the Son, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. All right, we need to stop right there. Man, we went an hour and twenty-seven minutes. What are you guys thinking? That's that's wonderful. <laughs> Let's get these heathens washed. Um, whenever, you, whenever, whenever you want, we we can we can set it up. Uh, you want to do it next Wednesday? All right, next Wednesday we'll set up the tank. All right, rock and roll. Wonderful. And anyone else that. Feeleth the need to be dunketh. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. This has been good. So I'm really looking forward to this flow uh, together and uh, to walk through the scriptures. And, and you know, we're going to have these tangents along the way, which I love, you know, to really just get uh, a fuller understanding of the scriptures overall. But uh, we're going to walk through Corinthian letters, however long it takes. You know, I'm not in any hurry. Are you? I mean, we did Route 66. <laughs> we can do anything. <laughs> Praise God. Let's stand together tonight. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you that every good thing in our life comes from you, every good gift and every perfect gift. Lord, I, I really understand that tonight. When you gave me Heather Joe, I understand what a perfect gift looks like. And I thank you for her. And thank you, Lord, for these great people. Thank you, Father God, that your blessing is upon them. They are blessed and they shall be a blessing. And where they go, they shall possess. Everything their hand touches shall prosper. All of their children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. Thank you, Father God, that love is the perfect bond that keeps them together and strong in their relationships and strong in the Lord, strong in their community, Father God. I thank you for blessing them on their jobs blessing them in their travels, blessing them in their homes, Father God, peace to them from God our Father, grace to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you now, Father. Thank you that they will now, tonight when they go home, they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. And you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of their ways. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.